Hello and welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I'm really excited. We have our first non-writer on. I'm super glad to be here with Christy Maggio, who some of you might know as Hockey Babbler or just Babs. Uh, How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, very cold. I'm up here in Canada and um, (laughs) freezing. But other than that, very glad to be here talking to somebody who is in a probably slightly warmer place. You know, oddly, today is like the one day this week that the sun has actually been out in Seattle, um, you know, rather than just gray and rainy and sad. Yeah, that's what what a day. It's because we're talking. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I will start with what I call a softball question, uh, okay. which is how did you get first started in hockey? Um, so hockey was kind of always part of the background radiation of my life. Um, So I grew up in the right place at the right time to become a hockey fan. Uh, I grew up in San Jose in the 90s. um, And the uh, Sharks made a really strong effort to make themselves a part of the town. And that really, that really ingratiated a lot of people to the San Jose Sharks. I mean, it meant a lot, first of all, to have a sports team that was actually a San Jose team and not the San Francisco team. Um, Yeah. Yeah, getting the recognition that we were our own separate city um, was, you know, a a boost of pride for people who, you know, considered themselves, like, from San Jose. Um, They also did a a lot of outreach to, uh, like, you know, youth clubs and schools. They had a lot of demonstrations at elementary schools and stuff. Um, So I just sort of grew up with the Sharks in the background of my life. Um, You know, I... First really became a fan, though, um, it was, let's see, 2003 was the first time I went to a hockey game. Well, the first time I went to a hockey game that I can remember. There is actually photographic evidence of me at age six at a Sharks game, but I have no recollection of this event. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I went to my first uh, Sharks game in high school, um, and it was just at the start of the Joe Thornton-Patrick Marlowe era, and it was glorious it was so exciting to watch and uh, I'd never really been into sports before um and so getting to watch something so high impact was amazing um the thing that really hooked me into like becoming an intense fan though was once I moved away it kind of became a way to stay in touch with San Jose like whenever I was feeling a little bit homesick I'd be like how are the sharks doing And then, you know, becoming a Sharks fan became a way to tap into home. And yeah, that was that was what really got me into the game. That's awesome. Yeah. And I could only imagine how awesome it was to be becoming a hockey fan and watching Jumbo play at like his very young age, him and Marlo together. Oh, gosh, that would have been something to behold. Uh, They were amazing. I got to watch them stomp the Ducks. That was my first hockey game. And it made me very happy. Anytime the Ducks lose, I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's the one thing that unites most hockey fans is that we all don't like the Ducks. Absolutely. Fuck the Ducks. So you you kind of mentioned being a Sharks fan. And, um, you know, that can be a little tough this year for you guys. So what are you doing to try to stay engaged during a not so great season for your team? You know, the good news is that there's so much more hockey out there than just NHL hockey. And so, you know, when things are rough for the Sharks, 
um, you know, first, like, like sometimes my, my first uh, go-to is, you know, how are, how are some other teams doing? Who's, who's really wholesome? Who has, like, you know, sweet boys on their team that, you know, just want to cuddle puppies and, you know, be good human beings? Because that's an incredibly low bar to pass, but God, you'd be surprised how many people fail to pass it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I look at other NHL teams, but, you know, I always encourage um, other folks to get into non-traditional hockey markets and, and it's a, um, you know, other teams. I love Australian hockey. Um, the AIHL has done a great job of making their game accessible to fans, even those who are nowhere near Australia. So, um, I'm a fan of the Melbourne Mustangs. I have a scarf of theirs. Um, so it's great also, you know, if you're a night owl like me, um, to have a game you can watch at say midnight that, you know, otherwise NHL is off the, you know, off the table in terms of live hockey. Yeah, especially for you on the West Coast where hockey ends much earlier than it does for me on the East Coast. I could watch hockey until 1 a.m. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's awesome. Being on the West Coast, it, it's kind of rough sometimes because a lot of games will start like while I'm still at work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, I'd love to watch hockey, but oh, the game that I wanted to watch is over. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, when a game on the you know, starts at you know 4.30 your time, it yeah. can't be fun. No. Um, so we met at Seahack last year and you did this very cool thing where you doodled all of the presentations with like the biggest takeaway and it was a really good way for people who weren't there to remain engaged um, or people who were there to be entertained (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what got you into drawing so I've kind of doodled my whole life um but I have this fairly clear memory of like uh, being, let's say, I think about middle school age and see my sister is an incredibly talented artist and I love her and she's amazing. This is not a knock on her. Um, so I remember seeing her art and being blown away by it um, and feeling like, OK, well, I'm not the artistic one in the family. I must have other skills. And so I kind of pursued other hobbies instead of art um but i still would always doodle in the margins and whatnot um but it's like i i always you know something i like to tell other people is that like you are an artist we are all artists whether or not you know you feel like your art is any good doesn't really matter there are things inside of you that only you can get down on paper and you know it's it was kind of that recognition of like, hey, I've got I've got ideas that I want to get out there, you know, little doodles I want to see um, in the world, uh, specifically around hockey. Uh, that that was actually what got me really into art again was starting to draw uh, as a hockey fan on Twitter. That's awesome. Yeah. So, what made you want to draw about hockey as opposed to something else? So this is the most ridiculous part of the story is that I just was on Twitter because of Hockey Reddit. And, you know, I, I saw some of these other Hockey Reddit people, especially uh, folks that I really love. Shout out to uh, Anneli and Jess. Uh, we can we can blame them. Um, they got me onto Twitter and I, I started tweeting fairly regularly. Um, and I was doing this mostly from my iPad. And someone recommended a drawing app for the iPad and I downloaded it just to try it out. And I started like, you know, doodling little things. 
And it kind of became a thing where I started drawing. I, I started like drawing the other hockey fans. Like I would do a little doodle for them for their avatar. And that sort of like grew into drawing more regularly just about the hockey games I was watching. Um, just because it started with doodling for other hockey fans. That's really cool. I, I, your drawings are just so cute and fun and I really <laughs> love you. whenever they pop up because I'm like, oh, Babs, there she is again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like there's a part of the hockey community for artists? Absolutely. Um, you know, especially in, you know, outside of the mainstream hockey fandom, you know, maybe it's not something we're ever going to see on Hockey Night in Canada. But, you know, there's a lot of us out there um, on Twitter, um, back when Tumblr was around RIP. Um, but, you know, yeah, I know Tumblr's technically still around, but is it though? You know, there's there's lots of great artists out there. Uh, you know, I'm looking right now at my I Heart Goalies sticker that I have from Lixie B, uh, who's available. Uh, her stuff is available on Etsy. Um, you know, there's... Of course, Cat, the amazing uh, Chicago fan. Uh, you've got um, the other Cat, who is uh, a wonderful Caps fan. Um, there's so many uh, great artists out there who are making things. Um, you know, not all of them are necessarily doing like the commercial art thing, but you know, there are lots of hockey fans out there who are artists. That's really cool. I think my timeline tends to be filled with more stats and like, yeah. the writing on the hockey side. So finding really cool people who are working on the art side of it is always so fun where I'm like that is a super cool logo and people should change it to that because it's much better <laughs> than the current logos oh my gosh I have so much respect for the graphic designers that are into hockey like that come up with these cool concepts for jerseys and logos and whatnot because my stuff is like my stuff is cute and I love it and it's great for a t-shirt but you're probably never gonna brand anything with it right it's just yeah. it's not sharp enough it doesn't have that that graphic designer polish but like seeing what graphic designers can come up with is like amazing yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> you currently live in a city that does not have an nhl team mm -hmm. so have you been able to find a community of hockey people in your city even though there has not been professional hockey there yet yeah um before i even moved to this town i think it was like a year old when i moved here um there is a uh, Seattle's only Canadian themed bar, the Angry Beaver, which is a hockey bar. It is primarily a hockey bar. There are hockey jerseys all over the wall. One wall has a mural that uh, just has the lyrics to Oh Canada uh, so that you can sing along uh, with the anthem if you don't know the words. Um, you know, they, they have Canadian beer on tap. They have poutine flights with multiple different kinds of gravy. Um, and it's made with local cheese curds because that is the most freaking Seattle thing in existence. Um, but it was kind of through both uh, the Angry Beaver Bar and through going to the rink that I found Seattle's hockey community. Um, big ups to Highland Ice Arena, a.k.a. Stabtown, um, which is... Okay, if the owners of Highland are listening, I apologize. It's the shittiest rink in the world, but goddammit, it's my shitty rink. <laughs> the ice is tilted in the corners. Like, it's roughly the texture of cobblestone. Uh, the locker rooms look like something out of a horror movie. There is a toilet that has no walls around it in the middle of a locker room. Like, it just, it looks like you'll get tetanus from every surface. 
I love this terrible place. It's mine. <laughs> That's those are kind of the best places in the world because the right? people who go there are so loyal and like that's where you find community like you said exactly exactly so as our listeners will obviously know by now you do live in seattle and you guys are going to be getting an nhl team very soon what are you most looking forward to about the addition of a professional hockey team in your city so i'm really excited by the way that the ownership group has kind of approached being a local hockey team they've reached out to i this is actually something that a lot of people outside of seattle may not know about um, they reached out to local tribes to do a blessing of the land um, wow. before they, you know, while they were doing construction. And I think it's really important to tap into your local indigenous community and to respect that, you know, you live on stolen land and to, you know, respect the, the traditions that have been in place for long before, um, you know, colonizers got to where you are. Like, and seeing that kind of respect gives me hope for how they're going to um, act moving forward. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, I've liked a lot of what they've done as an ownership group and as, Mm -hmm. you know, they've started to build their staff. They've seems like they've made a conscious effort to make sure the people they're hiring actually look like the community that is Seattle. Absolutely. Which is really awesome because most of the hockey teams that exist don't do that. Um, yeah, they've they've really done a good job of, at least from a very online hockey person perspective, they've done a really <laughs> good job of not catering to that very online community, but catering to the fact that if you're going into a new market, you need to do something from a grassroots level, and that involves people from the community. Yeah, they definitely recognize like, hey, you know, you need you need people from this area to really get people excited about hockey. You know, I'm, I think that they're really taking, like they're looking at the way the sharks and oh God, hate saying anything positive about Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, this is okay. So I have a love hate relationship with the Vegas Knights. Um, you know, because of course there's that, that new and very intense rivalry between the sharks and the Knights. Um, you know, before a couple of years ago, I would have said nothing is ever going to make me hate, you know, a team more than I hate the fucking Kings. But <laughs> no, somehow the Knights have managed it. I don't know how. It's like magic. Um, but no, genuinely, though, like they have done a fantastic job of reaching out to the local Las Vegas community and making themselves a part of that city and a part of the city in a way that appeals to far more than just the tourists who come through Las Vegas, which a lot of people were like, Vegas hockey's only going to work because people come to visit Vegas. Not true. You know, I think Las Vegas, a lot like San Jose in the 90s, really needed a sports team that was theirs. Seattle's got a slightly different challenge because, of course, Seattle is already a sports town. We've got other sports teams and, you know, we have a lot of very exciting sports teams, a lot of sports history here. But the upside of that is that you've got a lot of very passionate, just general sports people here in Seattle. Um, So, you know, if you can reach out to the community, reach out to the existing hockey community, which is, (laughs) it's way more in depth than I thought it would be when I first moved here. Um, you know, and they're doing a great job of reaching out to that existing community and making themselves a part of the town. That's awesome. I feel like a lot of older hockey markets should be taking a look at the success of newer franchises Mm -hmm. and how like engaged their fans are and 
consider making some changes to the way they run their organizations. And For no, sure. I am not a bitter Sabres fan. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... It's really, it's really great to see, though, just because I think a lot of times fans from those cold weather markets usually mm-hmm. tend to think that their team is hot shit and other teams' fans aren't aren't yeah. shit because they are from a different market, which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely this sense of entitlement, this like, oh, well, you know, you can't even get ice where you are. How can you play hockey? As if their arena doesn't have an artificial sheet of ice on it. Like, y'all ain't going outside and playing there. Like, even during the stadium series, you have, you know, temperature-controlled ice. It's not natural ice. Like, natural ice hasn't had anything to do with it since roughly the turn of the century. Yeah. You know? Like... (laughs) hockey wouldn't have become professional hockey without artificial ice so calm down you are an openly queer woman and Mm -hmm. you love hockey how do you feel about how prevalent homophobia is in hockey culture you know anytime you've got machismo as a big part of um you know a subset of culture you're going to run into problems of homophobia and you know homophobia is still a problem in our greater society at large um you know a lot of people (laughs) there's a lot of people who seem to think well the gays can get married so you know homophobia is over um which (laughs) of course you and i both know that's ridiculous (laughs) homophobia (laughs) doesn't end just because you can legally get married that yeah it's not like racism ended when uh loving v virginia happened like that's (laughs) you know like that's that's not yeah that's neither here nor there I think that it's a lot of the language around what makes what makes a man a man and you know what makes someone tough and strong is often things that are they're often things that are masculine coded and to try and break away toughness from masculinity is difficult. I mean, I think that it really starts with recognizing the labor that women do both physically and emotionally. I think that it starts with breaking down the way that we talk about gender because gender is more than a binary. You know, there are (laughs) more than just men and women out there. Um, But recognizing that even, you know, even if you're as far from masculine as possible, if you are as femme as the day is long, that you've got strength and toughness in you that is far beyond anything that the presence of testosterone can attest to. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes it's very frustrating as a fellow queer woman who really likes mm-hmm. hockey and then hears players drop the F word. And I'm not talking fuck. Uh, yeah. Just in casual conversation. It just makes you feel like the culture is it, it's just so ingrained because I feel like I don't yeah. hear that word in everyday life anymore. It's true. It's true. I mean, and even things that are, I mean, yes, the F word hurts so bad and hearing it sucks like that's that's like the atomic bomb of you know of anti-gay slurs but there's a lot of people who even consider themselves pretty progressive in terms of you know hockey players people who advocate uh for the lgbtq community who still do things that i mean because they're not thinking critically about how potentially toxic the things that they say or do might be that that are still hurtful i'm, I'm you know things like calling someone a girl when they're you know when they're hurt or crying about something you know um you know calling someone a sissy or yeah you know using other 
anti-gay slurs or you know homophobic slurs uh transphobic slurs and you know it it's it's rough because I think a lot of people, I mean, and this, this goes beyond hockey too, but you know, especially in hockey where, you know, honestly, these people are thinking about hockey. They're not necessarily thinking about, um, how to be a good member of society, but that's a topic for another podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, they don't necessarily think super critically about how their behaviors and their words can genuinely hurt other people. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, They've said those kind of things for so long without consequence Mm -hmm. that it's just kind of second nature. Yeah. And then when they get called out on it, they're like, well, what do you mean this is a problem? I've been doing it my whole life. Yeah. (laughs) And then then that goes back to what you started this conversation with, which is the systemic issues around toxic masculinity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What a fun circle. Oh, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you've been around hockey for a long time. Do you think that hockey culture has gotten, you know, more inclusive in the last, you know, 10 years or so? I definitely think so. If you had told me 10 years ago, well, okay, hold on. Sometimes I forget what year it is. And then I look (laughs) down at the clock and I realize it's 2020. But like, if you had told me in 2010 that I would be able to go online and buy an official San Jose Sharks branded pride shirt. I would have told you you were full of shit. I'd been, I would have been like, no way. I might be able to get a fan-made one, but there's no way I'm going to get an official San Jose Sharks shirt, you know, with rainbows on it. And sure, part of it is rainbow capitalism. You know, like, we know that this is a concern. But I also feel like, despite the fact that there is some performativity in it, that there is a genuine desire, especially as... Um, as players kind players and uh, front office staff, uh, for lack of a better term, age out, and uh, we get a younger generation in. This is the thing that gives me hope. Like, sorry, like to kind of seem to hop off topic for a sec, but this is the thing that gives me hope both for you know the previous question in terms of talking about homophobia and hockey culture and homophobia in the world at large. I look at the kids. I don't mean that in like a derogatory way, but I'm looking at like, you know, you see middle schoolers and high schoolers online and you see how progressive they are. And you Mm -hmm. look at them and you go, man, the kids are okay. Like, yeah, things are, things are looking up. Things are a lot better than they were when I was a kid, you know, like I wasn't openly queer in middle school or high school, high school a little bit more, but even then I was kind of you know, scared to be who I was, you know? And and I lived in San Jose, which is an extremely progressive place where, you know, large groups of people would go to the pride parade, you know, that even the, even the straights would go. (laughs) And like, I still didn't feel comfortable being fully myself because I was afraid of the repercussions, but getting to see kids, you know, be their authentic, truest selves at a younger age and feel like they can just live their fucking lives. I realize that that sounds like such a low bar to pass, but goddamn, does it mean a lot that they get yeah. to be themselves? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of gives me hope for some of the adults too, like yes. the older, because as they become parents of mm-hmm. queer kids, they are exposed to, you know, what it's like to 
experience that kind of intolerance. And I think it does yeah. also help people to learn from their past mistakes and grow and change, which is nice to see. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just look at how you can play got started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can play got started because, you know, we had a, a team, a hockey team that was alongside a wonderful, wonderful queer person. And when you know, unfortunately passed like way before his time, you know, it you had all of these people who were not traditionally part of a uh like a activist movement who said, you know what, um our our friend Brendan Burke, you know, he meant a lot to us and when he passed, we want to, wanted to do something to really remember him. And it was really beautiful to see all those hockey players kind of see that and see in their friends passing an opportunity to do something better for the world at large. The kids are all right. Yeah, the kids are all right. (laughs) What do you think that we as individuals in the hockey community Mm -hmm. can do to help it be more inclusive? The number one thing that I always say to everyone, and I, I try and take this lesson to heart myself, is use your privilege. And whether or not you feel like you're in a privileged position, you almost certainly are. This this is going to seem like a little bit of a weird story that's that's tangential, but I promise it'll circle back. Um, I'm half Japanese. I'm visibly uh, a woman of color. At least I am here in Seattle. Uh, Seattle, while more diverse than a lot of places in the Pacific Northwest, is still fairly white. Um, and until I moved up here, I never got the question, where are you from? Um, where the answer to that question wasn't answered in a satisfying way by, oh, I'm from San Jose. Um, you know, cause if I say, oh, I'm from San Jose, they go, oh no, 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 no. I mean, where are you from? Ugh. As if I didn't understand the question. Like, you know, that's. Until I realized I didn't have that white passing privilege um, up here, I didn't really recognize the ways in which it affected my life on a day-to-day basis. It's not until you lose it that you notice it a lot of times. So um, everyone's got a position of privilege, whether it's on account of your presented gender. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, masculine male presenting people. Um, have an advantage speaking up in situations where uh, femme-presenting people might not uh, feel comfortable speaking up. It could be on account of race. Um, You know, there's a lot of situations in which it's safer for uh, a white person to call out another white person for saying something problematic than it is for um, a person of color to speak up in that situation because there's a lot of pressure on people to simply like laugh along with jokes and go ha 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 you know it's great um you know rather than you know causing a fuss you know you're you're told like you know keep things simple you know keep things calm um it could be along the lines of ability you know whether you're um able-bodied or not visibly disabled it could be easier for you to speak up than someone who's disabled, you know, to speak up in a situation where there's uh, things that are causing a disabled person discomfort because they don't want to be too much trouble. You know, all of these things come back to, is this thing too much trouble for the people that it really affects 
to speak up about. Um, everyone's got some line along which they can speak up. And if you use your power to speak up where you see a problem, then you're actively doing the work to help make hockey more inclusive, to help make the world more inclusive. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's just really good way to kind of live life in general not necessarily Mm -hmm. just within you know the hockey fandom but you know use your voice where you can to help other people have a voice as well absolutely yeah so you know we've kind of talked about it but um how can we get more women involved in hockey just like at all levels how do we make hockey feel like a sport that doesn't have a bunch of gatekeepers to joining um you know, this is always a tough one, you know, because, you know, a lot of people go like, oh, well, it's just like women don't like sports. But, like, <laughs> I thought I didn't like sports until I went to a hockey game. You know, it's just simply getting people out and exposed to the sport, whether it's seeing a game in person, which I, I personally recommend seeing a game in person. I know a lot of people say the same thing about, like, baseball, for example. I still don't understand baseball. Um <laughs> But it's like, no, you've got to go see a game to really get baseball. And then I go and I pay way too much for, you know, hot dog and a beer. And I'm like, this is a very long game. The lockup music's great, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, but like, you know, maybe maybe hockey's not their sport. But, you know, if you get people exposed to hockey, the people who find hockey exciting will latch onto it eventually. And a lot of the problem is one of exposure. I mean, look at, um, what, oh God, um, the Tony X on, uh, on Twitter, the Solia City, um, mm-hmm. who like had just never seen hockey before until he changed the channel to hockey. And it was like, where the fuck has this been my whole life? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, the same goes for women, I think, is that just basically like, you know, if you expose more women to hockey, you know, there'll be a not insignificant percentage of them who will be like, holy shit, where has this been my entire life? Yeah, it's about not just creating a space where people feel welcome, but then inviting them into that space. Yeah, invite them into the space after you make them feel welcome. All of my other guests have been writers, and they've given some really great advice for how to get into hockey, you know, from a writing perspective. Mm -hmm. But do you have any advice for a woman trying to get into hockey in a non-traditional way. So maybe through art or, mm-hmm. you know, other kinds of art that's not drawing, like video making and other kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, God bless social media. Like, I know, like, it gets a lot of blame for you know, the ills in society and like, oh, we're spending too much time on our screens. But the beautiful thing about social media is that you can find your people, you know, like no matter what it is you're into, you can find someone else who's into it. And, you know, that even goes down to like a niche, 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 niche kind of level where it's like, I am into this very specific subset of this very specific fandom. You'll find other people who are into it. Even if you don't see the people who are into your specific thing right away. Um, I think about, okay, this is going to, this is going to expose me for the nerd that I am. Uh, there's a fan fiction website, for those who don't know, called Archive of Our Own. Uh, fan fiction gets posted there. And sometimes, you know, you you get inspired by something and you're like, I want to write fic about this. I want to write about this specific thing. Um, and you write it 
and then you post it up on there and then someone comments, oh man, I was looking for this specific thing and it didn't exist. I'm so glad you did this. Mm -hmm. Um, The same goes for any other art form. You know, I'm so glad you do this because like this thing didn't exist in the world previously is a response that I think every artist, uh, every creator loves to hear. Um, if you're trying to get started in hockey in a in a non-traditional way, like if you're even if you're just making like if you're making jokes and puns and memes and you know, if you're doing hockey shit posting, I I love hockey shit posting at people on Twitter who are in a similar vein to you, you know, reach out to the other people in the hockey community who are doing things kind of similar to what you're doing or even if it's not like directly similar just stuff you appreciate you know um because you know the the worst thing that can happen is that they ignore you and then you're in no different a spot than you are right now like it's it's great that there are other people out there that are accessible and just you know all it takes is just reaching out to other people um and you know maybe you'll get ignored but you know if you find even one friend through that that's gonna make the entire difference yeah the the hockey community on twitter and kind of just on the internet is a wonderful sometimes terrible place yes (laughs) but if you find the right people and you learn how to use your mute button it's a delightful place to exist (laughs) Uh, those are all the questions that I have for you. So where can people find you? Uh, tell them a little bit about your art. I know that you also make some really cool pins and stuff. So like, let people know where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, so I am Hockey Babbler, H-O-C-K-E-Y-B-A-B-B-L-E-R on Twitter and also on Instagram. If you uh, go to my Twitter page, uh, you will find links to my website as well as my Etsy store. Um, The website has links to uh, the various shops where I sell t-shirts and stuff. My Etsy store has my hockey pride pins, hockey pride stickers, um, you know, the all the fun hockey fandom stuff that helps to promote an inclusive space and gets people to introduce themselves to one another. When you see someone else wearing a hockey pride pin at a hockey game that actually happened the other day. I'm really excited about it. It I made me that. so happy. Okay. Let's I, build that queer hockey community. Yeah, I see uh, one of your hockey pins uh, very frequently because my husband has one pinned to his jean jacket and in Yay. the winter he moves it to whatever button down he's wearing. Oh, lovely. <laughs> So yeah, the pull up my my Twitter page. It's got links to my website uh, and my shop uh, and all the all the various links you need to find my art online. Uh, I also do a um, unrelated to hockey Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast called Mirth and Misadventure, um, where if you if you find me funny and entertaining uh, and you like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you can listen to me and a number of other hockey fans um, play Dungeons and Dragons together. Uh, we do make hockey references on the regular because all four of us love hockey. Love that. Hockey has a actually like seems like pretty extensive Dungeons and Dragons crossover and it's so fun. <laughs> I've been saying since the very beginning that hockey is the nerdiest sport. Like this is a sport for nerds by nerds with nerd fans and no matter how jockish you think you are, you are a goddamn nerd. <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe that, and I think that that is a really good thing to end on. 
Happy fans, you're all goddamn nerds and we love you. (laughs) Christy, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. And thank you everyone for listening. I'm Hannah and this has been Woman Advantage.